Governor Roy Cooper from North Carolina just declared a state of emergency on the state of education in North Carolina because we are following Florida and Texas, which is scary. So a lot of people, Nicole, and I think you know this, that are shying away from the traditional school model. My um, my 15-year-old um, has chosen to go to a private school model online. She picks her teachers. She picks her curriculum. She picks when she starts, what she does, what she learns, how she's um, graded upon her uh, mastery of subject. All of it is selected. And when we were going through this transition, because obviously there's a cost associated with it, it, it was like, what am I doing to put it? Well, she, if she's in the normal school system, what is she going to learn? And how does that set her up for success in life? So when I saw you and what you did and, and how your school is designed, I was so excited because peer, parents are starving, Nicole, to learn about other options for their kids. Mm -hmm. There's the $60,000 a year private school. There's the public education. Like we don't know of very many things in between. Um, so I just want to give you a forum to like express what you do, where you decided there was a need for it. How does the curriculum of the school operate? And then we'll just kind of have fun from there. Okay. Welcome back to Parenting on Purpose, your unsuspecting parenting podcast for the parent who wants to think out of the box. So I am so excited. We have our first educator and principal, Miss Nicole Kush. Nicole, hello and welcome. How are you? I am so good. I'm so happy to have you. Like, this is going to be a great conversation. Um, I have been wanting to have uh, an educator on to talk about school, the direction of school, all the different things. Um, but first, just to introduce yourself to our parents. So Nicole comes to us. She is the principal of the School of Inquiry and Life Sciences in Asheville. And I just love Asheville. So that's awesome. It is um, a city. <laughs> that's awesome. How long have you been a principal there? Uh, five years. I'm end I just ended my fifth year. So I'll be starting my sixth this that's fall. That's right. That's right. Happy summer. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> That's so good. Um, so Nicole, we always start our podcast off with give our audience um, an intro of who you are, but also in that intro, um, tell us a little bit about what's one thing Nicole does to show up on purpose in her own life, especially since mm -hmm. you are grooming and shaping the minds of other children and, and the future of our world. So you definitely have to show up on purpose. So what is one practice that you do to show up on purpose and then introduce yourself? Um, well, my name is Nicole Kush. I am a 30 plus year educator. I try to get less and less definitive with the numbers. I think after three decades, I don't need to keep count. Um, but I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I love kids and I love families and I love helping them together because sometimes they work opposite of each other because usually if something lands in my desk, it's they're <laughs> going opposite. So I always like to try to get people on the same path. But showing up is so important and being intentional, I think, and how I do it, because even on tough days, because I have a lot on my plate, is I always try to think about how I can be a service to others. I consider myself a servant leader. That's how I describe myself. Um, and when I find that people are wallowing in their, their self space, if they start thinking about what they could do for others and what that looks like, because it looks very different for different people. But when you always think about providing service for others, then it's usually easier to feel better about your situation. And you can feel good doing things for others sometimes that it may be hard for you to do yourself. And maybe it's, you know, it, I don't know if you put me on the couch. I probably grew up definitely a people pleaser and all the things <laughs> but, um, and had to undo some of that. But but the reality is showing up for the collective in any way that you can and making sure that you're doing that with intention. And that's 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 my jam. That's how I show up every day. I and it's hard too being a leader, you know, um, being a woman and being a leader especially being a woman of color in a Southern state. Um, I'm in a region where there's very few people who look like me who do what I do. And um, that is by design and intention. And I bark about it a lot, 
but, and you take a lot of hits. Like I go, I, I was on Facebook today with my assistant and I was just looking through some stuff that parents had said about me and, and then they want to come in my office and it's, and I offer the antithesis of that, but see people forget and they say, and, and social media, yeah, we can talk about that. I don't want to go on a rant, but yeah, leadership is your, tough. Your school is a high school. Yes, it is. And it is a high school within a traditional high school. That's but my awesome. school is the magnet option. So it's all honors and AP. And it's oh, one wow. of the few schools within a school model. And it's tough because of the fact that it's two principals under one roof. Now he and I make it work and we make it, I say we make it look good. We really do considering what it could be, but you cannot be an egocentric leader in a role like this. We we have to share and collaborate, so. Oh my goodness, this is gonna be so good. I love the way you show up. I love everything about you. Um, I was, uh, I just, I'm just like, I'm just so excited for the world and the way that like people get to see different people express themselves and what that means to our children, because they need to see someone like them succeeding for them to want to succeed. Right. Um, man. Okay. So you were starting with the servant leadership and you were starting with like, it's helpful to look outward and to do something in order for you to reevaluate where you are. And that always brings me to this African term I learned called Ubuntu, um, Okay, and I always jack it up. I'm always saying it's South African, but I'm pretty sure it's North African. Do you know? I think it's from Ghana. Okay, thank you. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I read it in a book. I, I'm not 100% positive, but one of my parents is from there and she uses that greeting. Well, she's not from there. Her husband is. But when she does some equity trainings for us, because she's a professor at the university here, she okay. uses, yeah, Mobuto. And then there's, um, there's a, it's like a call and response. Yes, exactly. It's not, What's the response? It's not Ase. I can't remember right now. I'm bad, but I am familiar. (laughs) When I was in like right out of college, I was put in a leadership role. I had to like manage 144 people who were all older than me, all Mm -hmm. had a different like level of, you know, success. Obviously I'm 22 and like wet behind the ears, just got out of school, started raising this amazing, beautiful four-year-old, like life was different. And I was reading this leadership book. So you're talking about leadership. And that's where I learned about the, that term. And in the context of the way I learned it, because I think there's some differences, it, mm-hmm. it's more of like a community term, like Ubuntu, I see you. And because I can see you, I understand who I am yes. and our differences and our similarities. Um, and it's just, we don't have anything like that in our societal like vernacular. And I just think it's such a cool, such a cool thing. So I just want to say thank you from one woman to another for showing up and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and just moving forward every day because there's like the primary benefits of our job, but then there's also like what people see and how that motivates people to show up and and move on. And I just love that. So that was soapbox number one. The reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is because, and I know we talked about this a little bit at our pre-call and this is a great jumping point. And I just want you to kind of take it and run with it wherever your heart feels happy. Um, There is a lot of people, Nicole, and I think you know this, that are shying away from the traditional school model. My, um, my 15 year old who's beautifully making lunch for herself in the other room um has chosen to go to a private school model online she picks her teachers she picks her curriculum she picks when she starts what she does what she learns how she's um graded upon her uh mastery of subject all of it is selected and when we were going through this transition because obviously there's a cost associated with it 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 was like what am i doing put it well, she, if she's in the normal school system what is she going to learn and how does that set her up for success in life so when i saw you and what you did and and how your school is designed i was so excited because pe- parents are starving nicole to learn about other options for their kids mm-hmm. there's the sixty thousand dollar a year private school there's the public education like we don't know of very many things in between um, so I just want to give you a forum to like express what you do, where you decided there was a need for it. How does the curriculum of the school operate? And then we'll just kind of have fun from there. Okay. Um, first and foremost, I'm a K-12 public school educator. So that is where my passion is. Um, and I sent my kid to public school. Uh, she was only in private school when we lived in Boston. She was in a Catholic school for a short time that they kept, they shut down. I went to a Catholic school in New Jersey years ago, which eventually got shut down thanks to, you know, all the uh, lawsuits that had to 
be paid for. Um, sad but true because the archdiocese um, of these areas in New Jersey and, and Massachusetts owned a tremendous amount of property. Um, yeah, so that's why they were selling it off to pay for all the priest lawsuits. Um, oh but, my God. Yeah, okay. crazy. Yeah. So I will say discipline. Sorry, I have to laugh because I grew up Catholic. I'm Italian. So like, if you know, you know, you just got to laugh. Yeah. I mean, like, um, listen, I, I went to a Catholic camp. I went to a Catholic high school. I sent my daughter to a Catholic school for elementary school. And, and I, I supported that. Um, but I wanted my daughter to graduate from a public school. I was a little nervous because we did move okay. to North Carolina. And you're in Florida. Let's yes, not get political, but teachers and, and folks are definitely um, starving for uh, educational options. And these states are not yes. exactly North Carolina used to be a forerunner and a leader where we do fall short is teacher pay. Um, but Florida, the governor has just completely obliterated the I digress. So anyway, I guess it's kind of hard to not get political as a teacher. So like, yeah. I'm not overly politicized. My mother who um, retired from being a teacher obviously has a lot more stringent beliefs. And yeah. I'm the kind of person like your circumstances of life dictate the way that you come and see the world. So like, Absolutely. I just love hearing everybody's perspectives on it. Um, but yeah, Florida man is a real thing. Florida is a little interesting. Um, Sometimes I try and not look at the news because it's a little crazy. I mean, it's, out here. it's depressing. <laughs> it's depressing, but we've got to know what's going on. And and sadly, I don't know if you knew this, but Governor Cooper, from not to get political, but this is important for what I'm going to say, Governor okay. Roy Cooper from North Carolina just declared a state of emergency on the state of education in North Carolina That's because awesome. we are following Florida and Texas, which is scary. And because he is of his party and everybody opposes him, he can't get anything done. It's very similar to Obama. So in that respect, um, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens after he's done that. And I love the fact that he did it because it wasn't a political grab. It wasn't mm -hmm. a ploy to get people to vote for him later because he's not on any ballots in the future. Um, so, but just to engage in the conversation, cause it's helped me engage in rich conversation when people say, what can I do? And I'm like, you need to pay attention to what's happening. And just like there's a lot of distractions happening politically across the nation to keep us from paying attention to what's happening in the world. The same thing with education. A lot of things are happening where we're being distracted by banning of books and picking on drag queens, reading stories and all the things when we're really not paying attention to education policy that impacts the future of our children and, and their attempts to limit what teachers can teach. Um, and it's a pretty sad state of affairs, so I don't mind talking about it. But I think that's one of the things that I love what I do, because when I first became an administrator, um, I was very kid-centered as an assistant principal, still very student-centered because I was a very student-centered teacher and I taught for 17 years. But then when I became a principal, I had to shift that and become very centered on my adults because my adult, because I realized that whole theory of the trickle down. If I take care of my adults, then they'll take care of my students and then everything else will work out. So I find myself in this role of being fiercely protective of my teachers, fiercely protective of their time. I'm the one who gets in trouble because I'll stand up and say, why are we doing this? This is not cool, you know, um, or I'll try to go with the flow. And then if it doesn't work, I'll be the one to be vocal to say it's not working. I'm taking it off their plates. But that's Good. what my job is, is to really run interference because yeah. there's so much bureaucracy in public education. And I still believe in public education. I do. That's why I'm I still would, here. I but, would say product of public education. I, and yeah. I think, I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in public education in South Florida. So the fact that I'm here talking to you today, just kidding. <laughs> Um, but I know I think there, there's a lot of value out of it, but mm -hmm. the need for reform is like, it's like the water is boiling with the desire for reform and the fact that parents are taking a more active role in making the selection for their kids. And I just, yes. I love that to me. That's so empowering. It's not like there's one, there's only one option. So we're just going to exactly. that. Exactly. So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about the, the school that you run. 
Um, mm-hmm. How was it developed? Like, because uh, obviously it's a magnet program within a school, so it has a specificity. And then um, what is like the curriculum around it? Because I, what I'm understanding is that's probably different than what they're teaching in other high schools in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people come specifically, as you, you mentioned, people come specifically to your school for a certain reason. So I'd like for parents to understand that background as we continue to talk. Um, well, one thing I just want to say, you're correct. It's not one size fits all because the pandemic really taught me that there are some students like your daughter who can rock it out doing her own thing online. And then there are other students that tank and need that socialization. So that's why I love the fact that we have all different offerings. Um, Silsa is the magnet school within um, Asheville High School, the traditional high school. And to try to compete with all the charters that were popping up, because charter schools are a huge problem in North Carolina, um, which is another way, basically charter schools, and a lot of people don't know this, it just takes money from public schools and gives it to private schools, but the state takes their part out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a bribe tool. And then they let them meet fewer standards. Charter schools often, not all, but some have higher teachers that we have fired, just so you know. And they don't have the same, they don't have to jump through the same hoops that we do. So that's the first thing. I wish people would learn more about charter schools and how, because I literally have sat in meetings where we have to write checks and they're trying to get even more money for us to fund charter schools. But then it's a way that they can exercise exclusionary practices without having to meet state requirements where I can't exercise exclusionary practices. Now, a lot of people think of my school as this, you know, it, it is, it, it's a very image, it's an image thing. I think there are some families that just love to say that they send their kids to my school. And I do have very popular, very, or relatively famous parents in the, in the city, right? But it's not a status symbol and it's not a fit for everybody. And that's why we try to get folks to understand. It's all honors and AP. It's also, um, I hate to use the word STEM, but the arts do exist at Asheville High. So we don't offer the arts. So that's why I do say STEM. Why is STEM a curse word? I prefer STEAM as opposed to STEM because I think art should be included. But my school, I personally don't have an arts teacher that's on my staff. Um, My students are duly enrolled in the other high school. So they get their arts and career and technical education and PE at Asheville High School, but then my students also have easier and faster access to the community college AB Tech right behind us. Got it. Okay. So, and I'm I'm a principal who definitely pushes taking college classes, not just if you're going to go to college, but some of my kids are. I have sophomores knocking college classes out the box, and I want them to do that instead of getting caught up in the. To me, AP is designed just to keep rich people rich and to get and and to create exclusionary practices on high school levels. Whereas okay. going to college, it's everybody. Advanced okay. placement because you have to take the AP test and you have yeah, to score a certain that. number on the test. Yeah, yeah, you're younger than me. We didn't have AP when I was in school. I think it was something that started in the 80s around that time when I was getting out of school, or if it was, I was also in a private school, so it took us a while. We didn't have dual enrollment. We had AP, but it was like, there was honors, and then it was like honors 2.0 or honors on steroids, and that was the AP. Um, And you had to take the test. And it's so funny as you're talking, because marketing is real in the education system. Oh, yeah. Even with the charter thing, like I remember when charter schools started to like come up and they just were marketed as like affordable private school, right? Um, and then even with the AP classes, I mean, so it's just it's it's just fascinating to hear like your side of it because I only have I only have the parent consumer side. And at this point, I was already out of school and my daughter was not yet in school, so it didn't really like affect my life. It was just something you see. But yeah. same thing with AP classes. Like AP was always a way to advanced placement, to take tests and get credit toward college. But what you're saying is that's not equal to doing dual enrollment. No, I think the dual enrollment in a college is better because I want to get my kids on a college campus and in front of a college professor as soon as possible. Now, there are some exceptions where there are some great high school teachers teaching AP classes. Don't get me wrong. But I also know that there are some AP teachers teaching AP classes so they don't have to teach those kids, the kids of otherness that are not accepted or enrolled or marketed to for AP. And that's exclusionary practices. And then let's talk about who makes the money off of those tests. If you start drilling it it down, the Koch brothers, it's all very 
general, a very Republican-led way of getting people to look out for their friends. And if we could whoa, just whoa, get- So AP classes fund, I'm so ignorant to this. Um, so AP classes go toward privately held companies? Yeah, they make the tests. Just like the SAT and the ACT, all that money. Just imagine if we took away these ways that we measure kids, right? Like I, I'm not a big testing fan and yeah, I know that's yeah, unpopular. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I know it's unpopular because I have a feeling that I'm always like, if when my kids or my scholars, I call them my scholars, when my scholars come to the testing site, trauma-free and drama-free and my teachers <laughs> as well, when that miracle happens, then test scores will matter to me. But I have teachers that are battling their own issues. I've got students, that, scholars that are coming to school needing food with food insecurities, um, all types of housing insecurities. And you expect me to measure them against others and make it high stakes and that's going to count? What if they had a fight with their parent? What if their parent didn't show up? What if their parent was arrested the night before? What if the police raided their home that morning? What, you know, you, there's so many um, obstacles. So there's that quote by, I think it's Mark Twain, like if you, if you judge a, a fish by how high it can climb a tree, you know, you yeah. know that there's that phrase. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Like we're pigeonholing. Like let's. I like the idea of things like what you're talking about with your daughter, more being innovative and creative, because it gives them other options. Because guess what? Students like options, and I think that's what makes my school. It's not the the biggest thing that makes it super special is that freshman year and sophomore year are year long classes. When you are with the same crop of teachers for a year, there's no becoming a wallflower and they don't know who you are. Rigor, relevance, and relationships matter. And that's what drives our school. And that's what makes us so special is that they get, but, but that's not for everybody. That's for some people. And my school, literally, it's a public school. They just check a box if they want to come to us or not. And so I often have to remind some of my teachers, because, you know, high school teachers, I was one for a long time, so I will own this. We think we're many professors and experts. And... <clears throat> Because my school has that feeling of some sort of elitism, it's it's sort of elitist, and it, it's but it's not, and I don't, and I like to dispel that that sense of it being elite because people will assume that, and some of my staff will say, well, we need to let them know, and then so we can decide if they're going to stay with us. I'm like. They're going to stay with us. This is a public school. And even if that kid can only read on a fifth grade reading level, it's your job to get them up to speed as best as you can and recognize that parents are only sending us the best of what they have. I'm not going to get into this elitist attitude that, oh, well, if you're not successful, we're going to push you on to another school. This is it. Now, there is another high school for them to go to, but what do I look like dumping failing kids onto another principal? That's not fair to him. So I work really hard and, and almost to a fault. Sometimes I've worked with students and let them stick around longer, but now we have an alternative program where I can actually place students. I've never had that option before. That's awesome. um, well, I did, but it was on the same campus. So that's not really an alternative. We finally have it off campus now. So it is truly an alternative option. Um, and while it has its kinks and its quirks, and we still have some things that we need to iron out, that helps where I can make it an administrative placement and say to a family, all right, I don't want your kid to be a third year junior, I mean, a third year freshman, and they should be a junior, you know, because some families literally are just doing the, 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 the face value. Like I've had moms ask me just to move their kid up so their kid can socialize. I'm like, no, your kid didn't earn that because we've come from many public at many public school systems will just push the kids through in elementary and middle. But when they get to high school, you're earning that credit. I'm not making my teachers push you anywhere. So yeah, I mean, and that's just like the foundations for life. So I guess the what's like juxtaposing itself in this mm -hmm. conversation is you have eight. These are AP level kids. These are only honors and AP kids in this mm -hmm. special STEM curriculum. Oh, not and honors and AP kids. Honors and AP classes. Some of my kids 
probably should be at the other high school taking standard level classes, but then some of them rise to the occasion and figure it out. But we're also duly enrolled with AB Tech and they can start as early as freshman year to be recommended to take AB Tech classes. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. So that kind of cleared it up because I'm thinking yeah. like you have honors and AP and yet they're failing. So that's, and that's the elitist, the, my, my kids X, Y, and Z kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is really fascinating. This brings me to like, I don't want to go too like down the rabbit hole, but it, it brings me to like, as a parent, I understand the inclination to put your kid in a situation where you want them to succeed. But I also see the culture that we've derived, like that's been der like the derivative of that thinking, which is stressed out teenagers. I mean, I was, I remember this when it was me back in the day. So I can, and I saw it now in my daughter, which is why we made the decision we made. And I see it in my nieces and nephews and my coworkers, friends, our neighbors. It's like, they're stressed out about every single test, like their body, um, body health, image, personal hygiene kind of suffer. Um, and we're, we're, we're setting a precedent that like, that's okay. And then it, it then I think what's even more toxic in my heart, Nicole, is that it always like makes you feel contingent. You mm -hmm. are worth, you are worthy. You are worthwhile. Uh, contingent upon how you did on that SAT test, contingent right. upon what how college we, you get into went. and what college you get into. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, that and that's, like that's the pressure. That's the, that's the parental peer pressure. And that's where, I don't know if you've ever seen the article about jackhammer parents, because when I started my career in the nineties, there were helicopter parents. They just hovered, right? And then there were lawnmower parents. They came around like in the in the early 2000s where they would kind of mow you over to get stuff for their kids. But now we have jackhammer parents that will literally destroy your career if you tell them or their kid no. Um, and there's also a lot of cheating to go along with that to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. So they can say during pool talk, that's what we call it when they're hanging out at the pool. Well, my kid is doing this and my kid is doing that. And we're putting this ridiculous pressure and they're not letting their kids be who they are. And that's what I love about my job where I get to step in because I get to kind of run interference because students, scholars will come to me and say, if you're going to call my mom, I'm going to have to change my clothes because they don't know I look like this at school. Like school is where students can come and feel if a good school, I think, is a place where a kid feels like home. That's how stuff goes missing all the time because they feel like they're home. They're leaving their stuff laying around like they're at home. And it's like, you know, treat school like the mall, not like home. But they, they feel because they spend more waking hours in school than they do at home. And that that is so important that families need to understand. And this is where like dangerous things like parents bill of rights that we have in um, North Carolina that just got passed. I'm all for a parent's bill of rights. When you show me your parents list of responsibilities, when you're doing what you're supposed to do as a parent, by all means, I will open the school because a lot of parents are like, oh, well, they don't tell us what's going on. That's because you your kids don't feel welcome at home. Some of them, not all of them. There are some parents out there knocking it out the box and just doing brilliant jobs and sending me incredible humans to work with or sending us incredible humans to work with every day. But there, there are some that really, mm, they, need, quick, uh, they need help. <laughs> yes, this, this is but they don't want it. They want no, blue nothing. ribbon service. Yep. They expect blue ribbon service. They don't want to be given they don't want to do critical feedback. They don't want to do work. They don't want to change. Boom. You just said a whole word right there. Yeah. Inner work. And they don't, they don't recognize whether it's cognizantly or subconsciously, they do not recognize that everything that they're doing to not for to their kid is a reflection of their incompetency, impotency, whatever yeah. insolvency in themselves. Yes. They don't realize it. Nicole, that is why we started this podcast. And by the way, parents, for those of you listening, you are not that person because you are here. That means you are cognizant. You are understanding that there is, you know, there is gain like headway to be made with this relationship between parent and child. And just by being aware of it, as intelligent as we are as a species, that is the, like, that is all you need is, yeah. is presence because and then you'll, mind. 
Exactly. Just open your mind and your heart, you know, and learn. It's almost like you have to look at it's a it's a beautiful dance. Right. And one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is you've got to build a relationship with your child. I have watched some parents chase after and build relationships with dates, members that they're interested in on their personal level. And it's almost like they knock their kid out the way so they can go be with that person. And it's like, why don't you take that energy and put it into date your kid, get to know your kid, sit down and turn off the freaking television, put away the phones. And that's, oh God, don't get me started on cell phones because I have parents who are so angry with me because I won't take their thousand dollar cell phones from their kids. And I'm like, the and then one, like literally one parent was like, well, what if we signed a waiver that you could, I said, no, how about you keep it at home? We have a phone in every classroom now and in my office. I will happily let your scholar use my phone, but it's like you giving your kid an illicit drug and letting them get high and then sending me to manage and then expecting me to manage that high and supervise that high and put structure in place while you're giving it this. I'm not taking the phone. And I literally had parents like, well, what if we raise money for this? And what if we see what's happening? No, raise your kid and tell your kid that they need to get off the phone because it's just like, I don't do that with food and they have to live with food. I don't know if they're all, if all my scholars are eating appropriately. Some of course in high school are not, but some are. And they have to learn and have a positive or a relationship with food, a productive relationship with food, because we can't hide it. They have to have it. And that phone, if the parents insist that they have it, they don't even need to have it, but it is a distraction. It's, it's, uh, It's problematic, but I am not going to make my teachers be the keepers, the gatekeepers of phones. And then the minute one gets lost or stolen, they want to sue us. Man, this is so, so interesting to see your perspective because you have to deal with all the highs of the highs, the lows of the lows, the bureaucracy red tape that goes behind it, removing all of that so your teachers can focus on what they do well. And it, 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 it comes across in my body. I feel gratitude when I hear this because you take on a lot. And what I feel as you're talking is like, you're a cool principal. Like maybe it's cause we didn't have like, you know, zoom and Google meets and stuff when I was a kid, but it's like, this is a, like, this is a badass principal. I would want this principal. She's badass. Like I that's what one of my board her. members calls me every time she sees me, she's like, Hey, badass principal. I'm like, thanks. I, I really do. I feel, I mean, I, I own my badassery. So thank you for that. And I really try, I applied to being a principal the same way I did to being a parent. I was a badass mom. I had one kid and I did it right. She's an amazing human, but I will say this, like I did it right the way I wanted it to be done. And so when I became an administrator, I listened to my teachers. That is so important because I had administrators who didn't give a crap what I thought how I felt. All they cared was that I showed up in dress code on time and managed my classroom behavior. They 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 didn't care. And that I wanted to be better than that. And my teachers, I think, are shocked. Even my students are shocked. And my parents, they're shocked when they realize, like, no, I really want to hear what you have to yeah. say. Because, and I always have an open door policy where, you know, because I even just said to my assistant today, I was like, maybe I should just start shutting my door like other principals and make everybody jump through the red tape of going through my my secretary before they could even see me. But that's not me. Sometimes I'll answer my secretary's phone sometimes and people are like, oh my gosh, I got the principal. I'm like, yeah, but don't ask me anything that she would know because I'm not sure because she's so wildly brilliant and handles her things so well. So I'm very- What I love though about this is like, you taking all that's on the point I was trying to make is by you taking on the brunt of all of that um, Mm -hmm. emotional baggage, you free up your teachers to be competent educators. And one of the reasons, and you know this just as well as me, because you see the stats probably more than I I wouldn't have privy to. That is why the um, amount of people in public schools is plummeting because, and, and my mom, was it not just a teacher? She was an educator. She mm. she is an amazing, remarkable woman. And well, thank she, your mom for her oh, service for me. I will. 
And Bless I always you. say that to teachers too. I'm always like, thank you for your service. They're like, they're not in the military. I'm like, I know worse. <laughs> it's worse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Benefits and pay are worse. <laughs> you know what? The impact that you, if you're the right person, the impact that you'd make is huge. And like, I was literally in Vika Equence, which is a small city, tiny little town in um, the Amalfi Coast of Italy. I was getting mm. gelato with my husband. He was on the phone. He was calling his dad in Seattle. Somebody walked up to me and they said, oh my God please tell your mom hello. And I'm like, what? And th they knew my mom. They, she, they, she sends them cards every year for Christmas. She, she this woman was in her second grade classroom. Um, and I, when I was born and she recognized me from the pictures that they get in snail mail that my mom still sends. She has like a Christmas list of like 500 past students. So oh my God. she's remarkable. And like, I tell her all the time, I, I love her and I'm so grateful, but there's like, it's like the impossible standard to live up to, but that's okay. I, I'm fine with uh, owning where I am in that process. Um, but not all teachers are that person. And so I think that's why a lot of parents have a struggle with the public school system, but they feel stuck and they feel like they don't have another option if they mm -hmm. don't have $60,000, which I think is why your school is looked upon as very elitist or like, you know, people fight to get in there because you're, you're providing another option for people. Um, so, and I love what you said about making kids feel like safe. So this is, I have a question for you. So I have a 15 year old, I have a three year old. I've noticed in both of them, you know, parents, we like to think that we're like, we're like the uh, captain of the ship. No way. Our kids do so much better the less we parent. Like when our kids leave our house and become their own people, like we should really lean into that more as a society. We, mm -hmm. We're just too wounded in our own little baby boys and girls inside our own bodies that we don't, we're not, we, we're not come to terms with it. Like what you were talking about earlier with the parents living vicariously through their kids. So it's bragging rights at the cul-de-sac meeting or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when our kids leave our house and they become their own people, that to me is like so uh, is it fascinating and also like heartwarming? So what I, here's what I want to ask, because I think parents can get a lot of um, value from this. What you see kids, students, scholars showing up every day, wanting to be their best. Some of that's because they want to, um, they genuinely want to impress their parents. And that's, and that's earnest and that's beautiful. But a lot of it is they want to, they want to become who they are. They are wanting to show up for themselves. It's literally their own identity. So my question is, what are some of the things that you notice that helps foster that type of environment at a school? And here's why I ask, and I'm going to pass it over to you. As a daughter of an educator, um, I realized that most of the teaching happens outside of the home. And the reason we have an amazing group of uh, people listening to this podcast who want their, want to understand how to be better as a parent, and they're open to this. Um, and a little goes a long way. So what are some of the things that schools like yours do to help foster that environment of kids wanting to be their best? And how can parents bring that into the home? Well, first and foremost, the parent is the child's first teacher. They got to remember that. And it starts the minute they take their first breath. And now I'm just speaking as a mom too, right? Because I, I worked very, very hard to manifest the life that my daughter had. And then I had to learn how to cut the cord. So I can talk about that too. Um, but I think, all right, so let me just make sure I answered your question appropriately. So you, there was something I know, a path that I was going to go on. I just want to make sure I don't lose it. So the first thing in terms of bringing it home, bringing it at school and how they can bring it home. At my school during the pandemic, <clears throat> I realized like I was telling you before, some students were knocking it out of the park and then some kids and parents were struggling. And I collected this data because I called, um, you know, I had this crisis. What am I going to do with myself? Oh my gosh. And so all my teachers were good and we were a very tech savvy school. So transitioning for closing was very easy for us because all of my teachers were doing everything online anyway. So once the teachers were doing what they were doing, my my then assistant and I went and called every family member. I said, we're going to call every family member. You start with the freshmen. I start with the seniors and we'll meet in the middle. And we had a spreadsheet and we just took notes on it. And in collecting all of that data, 
I got everything from we're fine. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is really you calling me. Go away, leave us alone. You know, like a lot of cold. And then there's other people like, I need toilet paper. I need a job. Oh my gosh, he eats so much. I'm like, I know, I feed him every day. He's in my office for a snack. Like, oh my gosh, I like they're learning their kids and they're freaking out. So with this frustration, I went to my boss, my then boss, my superintendent number four, I think, cause you know, I'm on six now. And he had never been a principal before. And I was like, dude, I need a way to help these parents. Help me. And he's like, I can't help you. So I came up with the idea after reading Carol Dweck's book about productive struggle. I was like, we're going to start a productive struggle series at this school. Yes. And I'm going to use Facebook as, you know, Facebook was my main form of communication because I'm not a big Twitter fan. And I hate anything that limits my characters. How dare they? I can't <laughs> Come on, Twitter. I never was a fan of it. Even now, I'm not. But Facebook is a great vehicle because you can write lengthy messages and post pictures, right? So it's a happy medium for me. So that's where I started doing the Productive Struggle Growth Mindset Series. So every Sunday, I started, it started with articles, but I'm an English teacher. I know a lot of people don't like to read, but everybody loves to watch YouTube. So I started curating these really cool things on YouTube, whether it's like TED Talks or short films, like just very short, like five minutes or less. I, don't, I think the longest one may have been like eight or nine minutes because I really keep it short. Um, sound bites, because I also taught broadcasting. So I know how the attention span works. And I just started putting them out there. And, and there's always like a quote tied to it every, and I, I'm big on quotes because one quote can change your life. Like you see a quote, it could just change your mindset. And I knew I was onto something when one of my scholars reached out to me and was like, what, I want to argue with you because my parents and I were at dinner talking about it. Ding, that's the first, I'm like, oh God, you guys are having dinner and you're talking. That's one thing that I really wanted to make sure that happened. And she's like, and I just, I think like you just think that you're focusing on kids like who want to go to Harvard and stuff. Like what if the, what if, you know, what about kids that are not going to go to college? And I said, honey, let me tell you something. Everybody's struggle is different. And these messages are for the kid that's trying to go to Harvard. And they're for the kid who's trying to get out of bed and just make it to the shower in the morning to come to school and everybody on that spectrum. So if you think that I'm just focusing on the upper half, you're dead wrong. So you need to go back and talk to your parents about that quote and that we were talking about. But then I think what really made me know that I was onto it because, you know, you don't get a lot of feedback and it's very lonely as, as a school leader. Oh my gosh. Like as a teacher, you've got your comrades, right? And even as an AP, you've got other comrades, but you're the principal. And I'm lucky enough to have my coworker, but it's still very different. It's lonely at the top and he deals with a different set of circumstances. But I had a parent um, write me because we just had graduation and I gave all my scholars hankies with the school emblem um, imprinted on it. And I gave, I had my assistant pass them out. And I said, when they're, when we're doing graduation practice, I want you to give one to the scholar and one to the biggest crier in your family. So they get two. And one parent actually wrote me back and was like, thank you so much for this thoughtful gift. And I remember when you shared with us this quote from your productive struggle series, I was like, That's awesome. and it was like from like over two years ago. That's awesome. And it was just so awesome. So I know that the power of your ripple is so important. And, and oftentimes in leadership, you don't know if you're hitting the mark or not. And people are, it's so easy to be critical, but so hard for people just to take a moment and express gratitude. And especially that way where it's so thoughtful with specific quotes of how you helped them or exactly when it, you know, rung, rung a bell for them. And as a teacher, we don't, like, I don't get to see that. That's probably the one thing I miss the most. As a teacher, you're in front of the classroom, you see the light bulbs go off. Like, you know, you could see it on the kid's face. Mm -hmm. I don't get to see, all I get to see is the angry stuff on Facebook when the parents are mad. So it, it's right. kind of cool. So the Productive Struggle Series is what I like to give as sort of my gift that keeps on giving. I'm big into public service announcements. Here's this little tidbit. It's going to introduce you to more. If you decide to go down the rabbit hole and go deeper, you can. But even if you just skim the surface, it's something for you to think about. And it's for everyone to make sure that they're showing up and they're doing their best. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what I love about teachers and like, you know, educators, 
because I, I see this as the daughter of an educator, is there's this like healthy this acceptance for um, debate. It, it's not, we don't all have to have the same thoughts. We don't all have to have the same, um, you know, path of understanding. And I think as parents, we're so much into the parenting that it's like, you know, this is the way, this is the path to the way, and this is what you must do because this is what I've seen be safe. I've seen be successful. And we just want the best for our kids. But when you talked about the, the struggle series, ironically, when, when I hear that there's a healthy amount of debate, to me, that feels like it's accomplishing what it was meant to do, which is cause you to critically think and cause you to have a um, meaningful interaction with your parents. Yes. And, and I think about the same thing with comments. Like when we get negative comments or weird comments i'm like or the or the thumb the, even the even the better one is just the thumb down no comment no introspection just the thumb mm -hmm. and i'm like that thumb means just as much to me as the the thumbs up because i'm like good if my content triggered you enough for you to take the time to do that like there's probably something there for you to explore like I'm all about the inner work because I truly believe if you don't do the inner work, your outer world is going to continuously show it to you in more abrupt ways until you like literally are forced to look at it in your face. Right. Um, so, so I, I welcome that kind of stuff, but it's kind of funny to hear it from your perspective because it seems like it seems like it's much the same thing, right? The people right. who well, embrace it grow yeah. from it, and the people who don't are ignorant, and they're just going to have to keep having the same lessons over and over again until they either grow or they die. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've ever seen Brene Brown when she talks about um, the fact that she, after her TED talk and the mean things that people say, because people are so mean. Oh my gosh. And, you know, it talk, and she goes into this thing of talking about, you know, folks commenting from the cheap seats. And when, when you're a woman, I think women, people are just so hypercritical of women. And I think being a black woman, it's just as bad. They think that they can talk about your appearance. They can talk about everything. Like, and I was just telling my assistant today, like that, that's that song, The Man by Taylor Swift. I am not a Taylor Swift fan, but I, I have some students that they heard me saying this, they would be like, Finally, we got you with a Taylor Swift song because I've had students trying to recruit me to be a Taylor Swift fan since I was in the classroom that way before I started calling student scholars. This is when I was a teacher over 13 years ago. But that song, The Man, she nails it so well because I watch people pick apart so much of me. And I don't, I'm like, is it a black thing or is it a woman thing? And a lot of it, I think, is more a woman thing. And then, then you sprinkle the racism on top of it. But the, the reality is, you, you can't get caught up in that. I don't even. I try not to get. Like, I went on the Facebook parents page today, the first time I had seen it, and I'm like, I had one parent. I was so angry when I saw what she said, and I did reference the Facebook page, not what she said about me or. But the fact that the exact same question she asked me this morning, my assistant principal answered to her on the Facebook page seven days ago. Oh, I'm sorry. On the 7th of June. And it is now the 20th. 13 days ago, you got the same answer. And it's going to be the same answer for me. And, and the fact that she was also criticizing communication. And I was trying to process because I... I try to overly communicate. Like I call my parents every Sunday with a voice message. They get an email every Sunday. My scholars get the same exact email. So they're all on the same page. But then it's my fault when they don't check their email. I put it out to you. It's on the Facebook page even. Like I cannot overly communicate enough. And still I get criticized for you know, and it's like, well, it's high school. So, and it's true. It is high school. And I'm a big firm believer in cutting cords. Like I That's had to do school, it myself. So check your email. Yeah, check your email. <laughs> you should. The, that's the, the social media is making it so easy for parents to bully us. Um, that they're. I'm going to an education conference tomorrow, and our board attorney is literally leading a course or a workshop on what to do if you get attacked on social media. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, because you're not prepared for that. And and it's right. so interesting, the time we live in. It's like hide behind the, you know, hide behind the shield. But in, yep. in, in real life, you know, like I remember when I was younger and this stuff just started happening. Someone made a comment and like, I, I'm by and large, I'm like very like just chill. I'm like, look, how do I, how do I phrase this? I don't want to be desensitive, 
uh, not sensitive to your situation because there's right. probably very real problems. But what I feel when I hear these type of things is like, I've taught my daughter this and she was a baby. Well, I got her at four. I taught her this and she was four. Whole people don't hurt people. Right. If someone has to take the time to be that verbose or that detailed or that whatever, like I, it is literally in my heart securing their incompetency. They really don't know how to check an email. Like, damn, I'm so sorry that your children have to deal with you as a parent and you are the one shaping their future. That sucks. Good thing they're in my school. And like, I would just like, I would give it no more mental energy, but you are as powerful and potent as an educator because you do care. Um, I think that's why why I would never, I could never be a teacher because I'm like, all right, I told you to do it. And I'm not to tell you how to, I may tell you how to think, let you do it for yourself, but you have to deal with parents. And like my husband is a coach. He coaches my daughter's um, competitive uh, volleyball teams. Oh. And by and large, amazing parents, great friends of ours, but you get the occasional, like, you know, get the occasional parent. And it's like, it is interesting to watch them have to um, interact with those people and the amount of care and trepidation and mental energy and um, dinners at the uh, conversations at our dinner table that all circulate around the management of expectations yes. around all of that. It's like and the entitlement. Oh my gosh. The entitlement sure. that goes with yes. some of those expectations are yes. just ridiculous. It's like, do you want me to spoon feed? Do you want me to spoon? Do you want me to come over and cut your meal and feed it to you as well? I mean, and they're raising their kids that way. So when they, <laughs> I have more patience with the with the scholars because they're learners. And I'm in this anti-racist leadership training right now, or just completed it. And one of the things that I got out of it is to help me develop a little bit more patience with the adults in the situation is one of my buddies in the cohort said, you know, everybody's on their own equity journey and we have to look at everybody as learners. And I was like, you know, because I used to get so impatient because, first of all, I've been doing equity for so long. Like my mom was was a um, EEOC officer and I grew up having rich conversations around race and intersectionality when I was very young. And I thought all families were doing that with their kids. They were not. And I brought that to the classroom as a teacher and used to have healthy debate with my students as well. I've had some students literally 20 years after they've had me write me to apologize for a stance that they took that wow. now they know that I was right. Um, but it wasn't about me, but just being you right. You don't care about being right. You just want I don't to care about being right. right. I just want to make sure you're informed, dude. Like, don't just stop. This is not a tennis match, but a lot of people see life that way. Interesting. Wow. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough, um, and I think after the pandemic and everything, everything has just gotten so there, you know, teachers were the freaking heroes in the beginning of the pandemic. And then we were the biggest villains when we wouldn't open school. And it's because a lot of families, a lot of parents don't know their kids, don't love their kids, don't want to spend time with their kids. And we've yeah, seen love- those TikTok videos where parents have made fun about it. I mean, but it's, there's, the root causes, there is some truth to that. And so that's why I love what you're doing is building gateways for families to educate themselves of how to better connect with their student because you better do it and stop making us the bull, like stop bullying us and hurting us because we just want to let your kids think. We want them to think, I don't want regurgitators. A regurgitator, I don't want to vote for for president or have running my nursing home when when the time comes. I need someone who understands a process of thinking and how to problem solve. And that's what I like to encourage my my teachers to do is to give creative pathways for students to. and, And actually, my assistant principal just got into her doctoral program. I'm working on my doctorate. That's awesome. My problem with practice is focusing on the adults and human resources stuff, but hers is standards-based grading because we have scholars that come to school and they're not fed and they can't keep their head up, but they might be able to successfully jump through some hoops to prove that they know the stuff without doing what we know is the traditional form of assessment, yeah. like homework yeah. and quizzes and all the things. So. And it's like when you start to think about this, like, I'm a big first principles person. Like I was vegan for a while. Like I just feel like everyone should have a healthy amount of skepticism, not out of like distrust, but out of you're you are running your own ship here. Like 
decide where you want to go and then steer. And right. I love like the first principles thing to me is exactly what you're describing. Like as, as standardized testing has developed, you know, first of all, how, where did it come from? And as you start going down that rabbit hole, and then like you said, who gets paid? Exactly. Like, and that's why my daughter and I are starting our, she, my 15 year old asked me to help her create a snack brand for children because she yeah. saw how this worked. She saw who got paid, how it was being made, what was going into the ingredients just so they can run them through a machine more effectively. Um, what that does to our health, the, the state of the union for kids in health is awful right now. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's just the physical lag indicators, but not even to mention the more important, which is the, the holistic health of the family unit, getting out, being more in touch with one another. So this, mm -hmm. all this whole de idea developed from her, but it's like- Awesome. Way to go, mom. <laughs> I've done nothing. I, I mean, literally, she's just awesome. I always joke like- you No, know, don't say that you've done nothing. You've given her the space. Come on now. Yeah because your listeners are listening, right? Or watching that okay. you've given her the space to think and come up with a process and identify a real world problem that she's addressing with this business. That's huge. If you did not give her the creative space to do that because you tried to force her to be like everybody else on the cul-de-sac, she would have never been able to come up with something like that. So you you and your husband obviously have worked some magic to give her that space to feel comfortable enough to do that. So give yourself some credit. Thank you. Just so I, I, I will see that and I, I do take that. And uh, I feel just very grateful. But yes, um, I definitely feel like she was made for us, like 100%. Uh, it, it's, it's been such a fun, fun uh, journey watching her grow and it's helped me develop into a person. And I think that's like, that's a good place for us to wrap. Like, I think parents, I, I feel that, you know, just because we have kids now, it doesn't mean that we're done. And it doesn't mean that we don't have any more to grow. And I think if we don't, people on this podcast, I give like, these are my people. Because before this podcast existed, I was watching Aubrey Marcus, Tom Bilyeu, all these other different podcasts. And I love a lot of their messages. These dudes are not dads. They're not parents. A lot of entrepreneurs aren't parents and I love them. I love them. But a lot of entrepreneurs are choosing not to be parents because of the inner work that comes with being a parent. Yes. And, yeah. and that scares the crap out of me because those people are probably way more apt to lead and to help develop people. And for the parents that are on these type of forums, they want to just be open to different ideas and grow. And just by going through your mental work, just by having a little bit of presence around it, your kids are going to be leagues above where they would be otherwise. Just, just by you showing up. Right. Yeah. You don't need to do anything well, special and, to be present. You know, I agree with you 100%. The presence is everything, but also really just a lot of families don't like the the children that they've created and i'm really lucky like my my kid is amazing right i have a 26 year old and i manifested her whole life but then i had to like cut the cord and let her grow up and make her decisions but i mean she got her master's degree when she was 22 like she's exceeded all of my expectations. So that's why I just need to fall back and let her be. And, and I have to learn from her, but I've learned so much from her. And that's why when I talk to families and I talk to parents in my office, her picture is an endorsement that I, not only do I walk the walk, I talk, not only do I talk the talk, I walk the walk. Um, and I know what it's like to be in those different phases and just, just letting them Letting them be and letting them think and grow is so exciting. But I will tell you this, and you can always call me when she falls in love. It's going to be like a dagger in your heart. That's a whole nother. You should do a show on that because I'll tell you what, when they grow up and fall in love, it's so hard to watch. But you know what? <laughs> My daughter's engaged now. But she's, and she's been with the same dude for like six years. So, That's I mean- it's a very good thing. But in the beginning, I was like, what do you mean you're in love? Like, who's, who are you telling you love? You love me. But, but she was a senior in college at the time. Like, it was time. But it's still hard because I was a single mom for a long time. And I was the only one. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a cord that when you have to cut it, it, it gets difficult. But, and, and I think 
having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. He was like, no, nobody's ever going to be good enough for my kid. That's why it becomes so difficult. Now, my daughter's fiance is an awesome human being and so is his family. I love him dearly. But in the beginning, it was hard because it was like, he's not good enough for my baby. They never are good enough for your baby. You just have to roll with it and hope that all the things that you've poured in, they paid attention and she did and yours will as well. And she's yeah. going to make a choice and you just ride, just ride with it. So that's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap us up with this. And then I have one final question for you. Okay. Um, what I've seen as a common thread between a lot of our speakers, and I love that they keep showing up in life as like a reminder for me, for everybody is the thing that upset you most in the people that you love. If you see something in your kid that you don't love, um, that's an invitation for you to take one of those really, really in-depth mirrors that like you look when you're doing your eyebrows and they're like really there, you see all your pores. Take one of those mirrors, yeah. metaphorically, and, and look at yourself. Because if there's something you hate about your kid or your spouse or your coworker, be something all that's an opportunity. That and, and look at it for what it is. It's an opportunity. It's not a I gotcha. Like I literally that I literally, Nicole, I go through the, I go through life this way. Like being in my brain is hilarious. <laughs> I go through life and I'll see an adult who does something and I can see the little boy in the, in that man. I can just picture him in my head and his wounds and his stuff and that he hasn't had a chance to grow with it yet. And like, there's like an overwhelming amount of empathy in me for that guy. And even though he's being a, a you know, explicit and throwing finger at me or whatever he's doing, I'm like, Oh, you poor thing. I'm sorry for you. And it's just like, I look at them as opportunities. It's an opportunity for us to make a different path forward. Do we want to have a healthy relationship with our kid moving forward? Um, are we perfect? Do we want them to have our exact life in every single way? Okay, cool. So maybe instead of like just being reactive, maybe we honor that they feel that they want to do something different and we just honor it and we let them have a little space around it. And so break generational curses. That's huge. Cause I know like I was raised by boomers, you know, like many of us, many people, I'm a Gen Xer and many of us were, and I love seeing all the things about Gen X cause we're an interesting crop, but the yeah. reality is like, just break those curses and have open, honest discussion. Cause there's nothing better than like, I was not my daughter's friend when she was in high school. She was not supposed to be my friend. I was on her, but she did graduate with a 4.6 GPA. So, I mean, I stayed on her to go and be great. Right. But then I had to let go cause now she's making her own choices. She's an adult, but I we've had to have some really tough conversation and I've been open to criticism and and also now comparison because she's got a future family that she's going to marry into and I've got to hear comparisons you know about and I'm like okay okay I'm, I just have to hold my, hold my tongue and let her That's speak so because she's speaking what she feels and it's and I have to follow the advice that I give my parents learn from your kid shut less of this and more of this. That's right. And make sure the heart and the mind are aligned. And if you're mad about something, walk out of the room, go tell somebody else. Don't tell it to your kid. You know, they don't, it, they don't want to hear it. Okay. So I usually wrap with a final mm -hmm. question, but I'm going to cater that question to you specifically okay. since you're a quote person. So I want to hear one quote, one of a favorite quote that comes to your mind or heart um, that either like maybe changed your life or maybe had gave you a slightly different perspective on life, anything that you want to share. And then please, after that, tell us, um, I know you have a podcast of where people can find you or follow your work. Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou, people will show you who they are. Believe them the first time. Ooh. That's my quote. There's a lot of them out there for me, but that's the one that... Always right off the top of the head. I can be found on uh, queenkush.com. And I can also be found on Facebook, Nikki Kendall Kush. But queenkush.com is the best way to find me. So you are um, not an average principal. Queen. My principal calls herself a queen. Like, come on. That's so awesome. That's awesome. I love it. That's so good. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I'm an old lady. I've earned that title. I mean, I, you know, this is not, I'm not like third year in the game. I've been doing this for a very long time. So, um, yeah. 
I love it. I, I think my, my daughter's 15 now. She was like 12. She was a kid. And she had girlfriends over. And like, I guess we had like something in the fridge that this little girl liked. I love her. She's a cutie. And she's like, yes, queen. <laughs> she was, they were like 12. And I was yes, like, queen. So you can thank social media for that, right? Oh, man. Hey, you know what? Some of that stuff is good, though. I I, I go yes. at that with a light heart. I think that stuff's hilarious. My husband no, that's and I good stuff. Fun. That's good stuff. But yeah. I just, like, I grew up in the 80s in New York. I was I was very okay. big into house music and the ballroom scene, for anybody who knows what I'm talking about, from, for you know, my rainbow family. So Yas Queen was something that we've yeah, been saying since, yeah. since the 80s you know like, i didn't even know it was a thing until it regurgitated itself yeah and then i was like oh now there's some heritage around it so fair oh, enough I, I, I was not aware <laughs> oh yeah it's been spoken at all pride events and all in the in the uh lgbtqia community for a very long time but it's wonderful that there's little nuggets that get out and you yeah. know work their way back into society. I yeah. like, I call myself an eighties baby, but I was on the tail end. So I don't know if I really earn, but I still call Yeah, I'm still, you know, I got in there. I'm still grand grandfathered in. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, are you a Gen Xer? Maybe I don't know. But I think I'm, a, I'm on the fringe. I'm on the yeah, fringe. you're on the fringe of, of what is it? The millennials that come after. I think I guess I raised a millennial because she's in her yeah. late or mid twenties. So. I don't know. I have an old soul though, so I, I can I can resonate with pretty much anyone. Um, that's, what, that's what makes this so fun, this journey, because we can talk about so many different things. You know, I'll have like I had a pastor on, and the next uh, week I had on a hypnotherapist. Like you wow. can't get more opposite in terms of like life theologies. It was yeah. awesome uh, just to see. Right, that's that's what's fun about this. There's no right or wrong. There's just tools for people to utilize. Uh, right. So Nicole, thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do and showing up so kids can have just a little bit of, you know, freedom and the foundation to go out and, and, and decipher this world because we don't have the answers as parents or as necessarily as educators or as mm -hmm. governing bodies. We really have to understand it's about teaching kids how to think and not telling them what to do. But it is really refreshing for me to see that the thought process that has pulled so many parents and kids away from public school is also being considered in public school and what can be done to help, uh, you know, develop that within the kids. So that, that was like very cool and eye-opening for me to see. So from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. This was so much fun. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're awesome. And parents, you guys know the deal. I love you so much. I'm so happy to be sharing this journey with you guys. Please comment down below. Tell me what you want to learn. I'll go find out amazing people like Nicole to come share their stories uh, and help give us just different perspectives, right? Because we're all going through this together. Until the next perfect time, you guys, stay beautiful and stay inspired. See y'all.